This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And you're listening to episode 114. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rcraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. Now, I want to start off again by uh, sending our thoughts and prayers to everyone that is affected by this ongoing crisis. Uh, I, I ask that everyone please continue to listen to your local officials and follow all the safety guidelines. And thank you again to everyone who's continuing to serve the community. Their service is essential, and, and I'm just so grateful to all those that keep our great nation going. As I announced last week, we are taking our conference virtual, and it is coming up quickly. The Planet Microcap Showcase, April 21st to 23rd, 2020. This is going to be something really special. I'm trying to keep my cool, but I'm just really, really pumped. Uh, we have some incredible speakers and presenting companies that are participating this year. And really, since announcing that we are going virtual, the support has been amazing. And I'm very thankful to everyone that has dedicated their time and effort to make this the best event it can be. I'll be making more announcements very soon, but in the meantime, registration is now open. Investors can register for free, where you'll get to watch and listen to all the company presentations and microcap investing workshop panels, as well as book one-on-one -on -one meetings with companies. To register, go to www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com and click register now. You will not want to miss out on this, so if you have any questions, please feel free to email me at rcraft at snnwire.com. Now, for this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I spoke with Tyrone Ross Jr., host of the Human Advisor podcast and director of community at Altruist. I was introduced to Tyrone via our mutual friend and frequent guest, Tom Shaughnessy from Delphi Digital. Thank you, Tom. Uh, after listening to this interview, you're going to want to run a marathon, read that book you've been wanting to read, start that business you've been thinking about forever, and, but, but in all seriousness, Tyrone's passion and story are truly inspirational. The main takeaway from my chat with Tyrone is that he drives home the value of a financial advisor and also the importance of bringing financial education to the masses. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 114 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my interview with Tyrone Ross Jr. This is Robert Kraft, and I'm your host on the Planet Microcap podcast. And with me today is Tyrone Ross Jr. He is the host of the Human Advisor Podcast and also the director of community for yep. Altruist. Tyrone, it's a pleasure. I, I'm going to do it first. I'm going to say it before you can. I appreciate you <laughs> joining me today. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you for leading the way on the giving and the gratitude. Um, it's great to be here. Thank you for reaching out and having me on. No, it's, it's awesome for you to, to, to have you on here and to share your insights and, you know, I, I, to prepare for this, I actually listened to your interview that you did with uh, with Tobias Carlisle on the Acquires mm. Multiple, and it was just 
It's phenomenal. I, I mean, I really enjoyed hearing about your story and, and learning about your process and how you got to where you're at today. So for those, yeah. who, for, for those of my audience who may not have listened to that interview, you know, can you provide a little background about how you got to where you're at today? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, like I said, it's, it's a very long, circuitous route, but, you know, just to keep it simple is, you know, I could tell it any, any different way, but I, I walked onto Wall Street at 26 years old, financially illiterate, right? And, and literally financially illiterate and didn't know anything about stocks, bonds, cash, money markets, buy side, sell side. Like, and the only reason I got the job, you know, working in an investor relations firm when I first started on Wall Street is because I somehow had an answer to how does being a juvenile probation officer going to help you on Wall Street? <laughs> and I don't know what the answer was, but shout out to Lisa Craddock, wherever she is. Um, she believed in, you know, this young black man with, you know, she felt it had so much potential. Um, and it just kind of started from there. It was, you know, first in my family to finish high school, um, went to college, you know, only because, you know, I, I had a talent to run and that paid for school. Bit of a struggle there because I had never known anyone to go to college or didn't really know it was a thing. So struggled in college, but eventually graduated from Seton Hall. Um, was in a master's program there, corporate and communications program where a professor had mentioned Wall Street. And I'm like, no sure. idea what you're talking about. Like, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> all right, do they pay? You know, so um, it, it was just, it's been a very interesting, interesting road. So long story less long, I end up at Merrill, you know, was at Merrill for five years. And in between that, that time, um, you know, got introduced to, to Bitcoin in 2015, started prospecting startups in 2000, 2015, yeah, uh, Bitcoin, started pro prospecting startups in 2016, and the rest is history. And then two years after that, left Merrill, been independent ever since, and all of the stuff that people see now has happened. <laughs> I, I was going to say, you wear so many hats. I mean, I, you know, offline, we were like, I, you know, how do I introduce <laughs> you? You do, do so yeah. many things. And, uh, we narrowed it down to two, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, I mean, like, I, I mean, how did you, when, when you're, you know, you said you came on wall street, financially illiterate, you know, what were some of the tools and resources that you used that helped you to get, you know, at least a couple things under your belt? That's a really good question. So I don't, I don't know if there were things, but which is why I believe in the power of people and the power of giving. Um, I, I was fortunate enough that there were, uh, very successful, and, and I say this purposely, white men who poured into me, right? And they didn't have to, um, who took time with me to teach me, right? And then said, hey, you might want to read, you know, the Financial Times and the Wall Street Journal, whatever. And I'm like, well, why is this paper pink? I don't understand, you know? So, but just giving me the blueprint, right? Of this is how you, you know, you end up at least being competent so we can keep you hired, um, and, but just thankful for all the time that they poured into me because there weren't any other black men around or what anybody around just be like, okay, well, I've been through what he's been through. Right. Mm -hmm. So now imagine you walk on the wall street where everyone, you know, you got Wharton, you got Ivy league and Kellogg and this, that, whatever people are super duper smart. And you're like, <laughs> right. I'm the first high school graduate in my family. I know nothing about money, but here I am. Um, I will say this, though, I do think the benefit of being at an investor relations firm that also did PR was I was able to learn a lot of the foundation, right, the, the institutional side, um, you know, again, eventually learning retail versus institutional buy side, sell side, all of those things. So I was able to kind of get up to speed because I was surrounded by so many smart people who cared about me. 
Um, and again, if you are in this business, Investopedia is it. No one is here without Investopedia. I don't care who you Amen. are. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Raise the room every day. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I don't care who you are. You are on Investopedia. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the tool. Oh, that's too funny. So I want to now transition. You know, you mentioned uh, that you you were starting to look at crypto in 2015. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you were were ahead of the game, you know, (laughs) from a lot of people. I mean, even though it's been around for years. And I I remember looking at it back in 2010, 2011, back at Mount Gox days. I think we all remember that. Yeah, Uh, yeah. (laughs) um, You know, so what drew you to crypto? A friend of mine. Um, who was really into computer science and, and, you know, he's a Ruby developer and he was, you know, he was the one who made our fake IDs back in the day and was really into all of that stuff. So he had always been like that friend who's always into like the dark web and all of that. And he's talking about this internet money and I'm like, man, and I'm still at Merrill. I got my traditional hat on. I'm like, it's fake, bro. This is fake. And, you know, he was like, he finally nailed me down enough. And I believe, again, it's like, this is why I always talk about, and and not even in crypto, but just in general, the messenger matters. And the only reason why I listened to him is because I knew he was smart. And if you listen to anybody that got introduced to it from someone really smart, your trust in their intelligence stops you. And... I was in the middle. I was in the middle of meetings, and he's like, "Download Bread Wallet, and I'm gonna send you some." And uh, and he sent it to me, and I was like, "Whoa, wait a second, like it's it's done that quick? That's it?" He's like, "Yeah," and he's like, "Now here's an address. Send it to this person," and I sent it to them, and he he got us all on the phone, and then he put me in this Facebook group chat, and I'm like, "What the hell are they talking about?" Right. But all I knew was like they're giving each other some really bad investment advice. So, <laughs> so I'm like, there's an opportunity here. So, you know, th- thanks to him and, and you know, that the, the rest is history for me. Gotcha. All right. So I want to take a step back because, you know, from at the IR firm and then you went from the IR firm to Merrill Lynch or. or- no. So, yeah, it was, it was I left a lot out because we would yeah. be here all day. I don't think we got that much video. <laughs> but so I, I went from an IR firm. And, and then I had a mentor there who was like, you should go, you know, think about working on the retail side. And I'm like, what is that? Right. He's like working with individuals, but you got to get your series seven. And I'm like, what is that? Whatever. So it's like, you got to have a firm response to whatever. So I go to a Wolf of Wall Street chop shop right in one Penn Plaza, cold calling 700, 800 dollars a day, pitching stock. Right. Got my seven and 63 there. Um, left there after hearing about a wirehouse, right? What a wirehouse is. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll go to wirehouse. That's where I'll go and get rich, right? Because I didn't get rich here. And everyone told me I could, you know, sell stock, not knowing that the heyday of stockbrokers was 15 years before, right? <laughs> um, so leave there. Yeah. So end up, I was, I, I actually was at Morgan Stanley for a little bit before Merrill. And the only reason I ended up at Merrill is because the branch manager literally fired me and gave me a job at the same exact time. He was like, I got to fire you. You aren't hitting your goals. Cause at the same, when he hired me originally, he knew that I was also training for the Olympics at the same time. He was like, this is very stupid. I, I feel like it's impossible, but he was like, I feel like if anybody could do it is you. So long story short, I was just burning the candle to both ends. Training for the Olympics is a full-time job in and of itself. Wasn't hitting the goals. And I walk into his office. He's like, look, I got to let you go. But 
here's your next job. I have a friend at Merrill Lynch. He's going to hire you today. Call him. Go see him. And literally, it worked out. Went to see him. The guy looked at my resume and he was like, okay, you know, he's like, do you know that there's an office, you know, right over by where, you know, you live? I'm like, really? So long story, you know, long story short, went there and then I was at Merrill. This was 2012. So I was at Merrill from 2012, 2017. Gotcha. And what were some of the lessons that you took from there? Because I'm assuming that's where you got a lot of the bulk of the, yeah. all right, value investing, you know, this yep. is what we really look for, you know, th- yep. this is how we, you know, kind of doing, you know, really, really doing great financial analysis. Right, there. exactly. Yeah. So it was once I got to Merrill, I, I began to understand truly what it meant to be a financial advisor, truly what it meant to look at portfolio, portfolio construction, investment management, financial planning, right? I tell people to this day, I've never seen financial planning done like my mentor and his team does it. It is ridiculous how well and how robust and deep the process is of them doing planning. And then above that, the investment management and above that, the portfolio construction and above that, the invest, you know, the, the client meetings and then the prospect meetings, like it is a full on. And I'm like, whoa, this is a whole nother thing here. So, you know, um, I, I and then I really started to understand by that point, OK, managing my own 401k, buying individual stocks, getting into ETFs all these other things. So yeah, it was there when, you know, you really start. And and again, I had heard these terms before when I was at the IR firm, GARP, deep value. I didn't know what the hell it meant, but I'm like, you know, I had no idea what these things meant. So finally it started, right. It all started to come together on PE ratios and, you know, everything, you name it, Cape ratio, the whole thing. Like it finally started to come together um, and make some sense to me. But what I also realized, I'm like, I'm kind of like a cage lion here because I don't like to do this, right? I don't really like sitting here building portfolios. Like, it wasn't me. I was, I'm a hunter, right? So I would lock myself in a room, like, and cold call all day. And I would get, you know, I blew out the training program when I got to Merrill's. I was in the training programs called PMD. I think they changed it now. Mm-hmm. And no other other trainees could cold call. So, I'd love to cold call. So I would lock myself in a room all day and they would see me in a room going crazy. Like, what the hell? And my mentor eventually came to me at the end of the day. And he was like one of those, again, he's been at Merrill 30 years. He's in Barron's every year. He's a monster. And he was like, one of them was like, you don't go to his office. And, you know, so he came to my cube and he goes, and little naive me, I, I have the cutout of the Barron's top 100 in my cube. And he goes, um, he goes, when you, when you get a chance, he's like, you know, come by my office. I'm like, is he serious? And he goes, I, he's like, I want to show you something. So I go to his office and he's showing me the Barron's top 1000. <laughs> he's like, I'm on the top Barron's top 1000. Yeah. It's like, I haven't made the top 100 yet. So we're laughing about that. But he goes, he's like, I tell you what, he's like, I've been here 30 years. I've never seen someone with that work ethic and could work the phones like that. He said, that's great. You're a great salesman. You don't know nothing about being a financial advisor. So every Friday, he would kind of teach me all of these things. And then he had a really great CFP. And again, I just started to learn a lot of the things that now um, that I use and are part of my toolkit. But I knew then that I wasn't going to be that type of advisor. Um, But I learned so much there that I was able to take um, and, and bundle it 
and make it my own right as I started to develop my own practice and start working with my own type of clients. Gotcha. That's a perfect transition because right before I, we get to some of the tools that you, you impart uh, for, for your clients, you know, wh- where did you get the confidence then at, at the point where you're like, all right, I really appreciate my time in Merrill. Now it's time to go off and do my own thing. So I, I was thinking about it anyway, but if I'm being completely honest, I had a very, Merrill Lynch is a very, very bad place for black and brown people to work. And I had a very bigoted, racist experience that forced me out. I left before I wanted to. I had been planned on, I planned on leaving. Um, and That's horrible, man. I'm yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. And it was bad. It was really, really bad. And I'm like, and I don't want to get into it because it, it was negative, but I'm like, when I tell people about it, they have a hard time believing that it happened in some of the things that were said in New Jersey in 2000 and what it was, 16, 17, whatever it was. But yeah, I was like, all right, it's clear, right? There were 14,000 advisors at Merrill when I was there. There were 100 black advisors. 100. So let's just, let's just, let's just deal with the elephant in the room. Right? You've been around 100 years. If you have 100 black advisors... You just don't want black advisors. Like, let's just deal with that, right? So, but when it when it was front and center to me and it was kind of made aware, like your kind isn't welcome here, I was like, all right, I gotta go, right? And that's not to say, that's not to say anything of the people that I, that were in that office that I worked around, I love them, right? Um, and and I, I have some relationships in Merrill I would take with the, me for it, the rest of my life. It was the institution. It was the institution, yeah. right? And that came from the top down. And listen, you can look at Merrill's history. Again, none of this is kind of like, oh, like, right? Yeah, They've been sued over it or whatever. Um, but it's they, they just it's just not a good place for black and brown people to work. It's okay. It's all right. We can deal with that. And we can move on. But um, and hopefully they've gotten better. I don't know the numbers now, but when it's that start. It's kind of like, don't tell me it's, you know, right. oh, it's a pipeline issue. No, you just don't want black advisors, but whatever. So it was that. And then also I had realized that my mentor was like, look, you're into crypto. Can't do that here. <laughs> right. You want to prospect really young clients, not really the place for doing that. My clients were kind of aggravated because they couldn't send Dropbox links and the technology was slow. And so there was a lot of different things. I was like, I have to go. And that just kind of forced me out. And I'm glad because now over the last two years, I was able to explore more of myself because you can't be on social media either. Right. So I was able to tell my story eventually. um, And I was able to build a practice that's built around crypto, um, work with the type of client that I want to work with, you know, be really creative with my business model, my prospecting model, my client service model. Um, and, you know, people, people were drawn to it. Um, and it, it's, it's helped me, you know, it, it's helped me get to all of the things that I have now. But more importantly, I kind of reversed engineer it because I was kind of forced into now working with the people that I wanted to work with after so many years, trying to get people to come to you. Now I have to be very selective, which is cool. Cool. All right. So this, so, so, okay. New client walks in the door, you know, mm-hmm. cause now I really want to get to your practice and, and how you work yeah. with, with your, with your target, you know, audience that you want to get to. And I, mm-hmm. and, and I won't do a sell me this pen moment, but I, I guess it's going to kind of sound like a sell me this pen moment, you know? So, right. so, you know, what are some of the questions that you ask a prospect um, that are looking to maybe bring you on or uh, and when you're telling them a little bit more about your practice, you know, what, what, what is it? 
So the first question, um, if not the first, but uh, I mean, one of the first and probably the most important to me is what is your relationship with money? Mm-hmm. One of the first questions I ask. And just kind of take me through that. Let's talk about that, right? When when I mention money to you, what comes to mind? Abundance, scarcity, your grandfather walking you to the store. Like, I really want to get a feel for your relationship with money. Um, you know, and tell me what it's like currently, right? And then walk you through, right? And just kind of listen, right? It's one of the things I was taught, just to ask open-ended questions, right? My mentor always says, if you do all the talking, you lose. So when they, when they, when they come in, I just kind of, when I ask open-ended questions, just let them talk. That's one, right? What are you doing now currently? And again, you know, Josh Brown was just talking about this in the interview that I did with him. He's like, you, 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 there's no piece of content you're going to put out or whatever. People are going to have life events happen. And that's why they're going to reach out to a financial advisor. So I asked people, well, what is it now that prompts you, you know, to want financial advice? And you try and t- I try and take those three things and then just try and take the next step with them. I kind of got a cheat code a little bit because anyone who reaches out to me now are reaching out because they know of the background that I have in crypto. So a lot of my clients that come to me, they already own crypto. They have financial planning questions or, you know, basic stuff that they want help with from a traditional advisor who they know also understands, right, uh, crypto assets. So the next thing is, again, just getting into for me, right, and this is why I tell advisors with crypto, like your investor policy statement has to change, your risk tolerance questionnaire has to change, all of that. So I want to get a feel for their tech background, right, how tech savvy are they or not, um, you know, where do they hold their assets? Because, again, I don't custody and I don't transact on behalf of my clients. So these are all things that I ask. Um, and, you know, that's really it. And then once they know I'm familiar with some of the tools that they use or whatever, you, you speak the language. Right. And I think that's what it is. If and, and my my mentor is a stock option wizard. So when he would sit with clients, he would know RSUs and ISOs and blah, blah, blah. he would right. he could speak and you could tell the person go, ooh, he knows he knows this stuff. Right. So I think it's the same thing when you can speak their language, then they start to open up and say, oh, OK, great. Right. Um, He knows the difference between Bitcoin and the Bitcoin blockchain. Right. So like these are all things. So there's a comfort level there. Um, And then, you know, once that happens again, just to try and figure out how comfortable they are, um, you know, with what they own, why they own it, where they own it, um, you know, and just have a broad conversation around what they're doing currently. Mm -hmm. Um, If they have a spouse are they open to bringing them to the conversation? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, go ahead. Do you want to say something? I was going to say because do you also work with them on like long short strategies? Because you know when we're talking crypto, I mean, I, at least to me, from my perception, talking with like the Tom Shaughnessy's of the world and some of these other guys, you know, it's really it's a long term play. You know, when yeah, you, when, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but I mean, are 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 you also like okay? Are do you have short term goals? And here are some ways in which to succeed. You know, if you mm-hmm. do have more sh- a short term time horizon in crypto. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. Again, it's longer term. See, that's the thing. It's like most of the people yeah. I think I'm in a we- I'm in a spot because most people who talk about crypto aren't actually working with clients who own crypto. Right. <laughs> so so and there's nothing wrong with that. We all hold our place. But there it's a right now it's a it should be a passive strategy. Now, I've had clients. Clients come to me and say, listen, I got burnt. I tried to trade. 
it's hard AF. Can you can you help? No, I don't trade. Right. And you got to understand anything they do, they do away from me. My clients do everything away from me. They come to me for my advice. Right. And my opinion. And I always tell them, listen, you make the decision. I'm going to give you all of the information that you need. The decision is up to you. But this is what I think. And this is what, you, what I feel like you should be doing. So, yeah, it's literally set it and forget it. Most of my clients understand that this is not something that they should be trading. It's not something that they should be doing a bunch of stuff with. Now, some do, a very small percentage do. And they do that, again, on, on their own. So, And they do a lot of crazy things. But I'll give you a quick example. Not a client, but he reached out to me. He said, I, wanted to, you know, I know you're a financial advisor. Actually, when I was in L.A., sat down and showed me his portfolio. $2.4 million. He's 20-something years old. He is 100% free of fiat. He'll never touch dollars and need a bank again. He's doing everything through decentralized finance. It was the most remarkable thing I've ever seen. And he was comfortable because he knew I understood everything that he was talking about. Mm -hmm. And he was showing me his portfolio and how he trades and how he conduct the trades and different platforms he uses. And, you know, and he was able to go through all of that. And at the end of it, he was just like, do I have enough? <laughs> right. So it's like, it doesn't matter what it is. It all comes back to that. Right. So you know, these are, for me, again, it's a little different when you're dealing with crypto, but the basics still, you know, are the same. Should I sell some of this and pay off student loans? Should I buy a house? I just had a baby, right? There's no Bitcoin 529, right? Like you probably, <laughs> you probably should do that, right? All of these things, they still have questions about. Um, again, trust and estate planning is another conversation in crypto. Are you doing multi-sig, cold storage, all of these things, right? Um that are really important that they just want someone to understand. And I just happen to speak their language. Dude, you're, it, it's so, it's so interesting. You're really filling a, an interesting niche because, you know, I have a ton of friends who, you know, when Bitcoin and everything was going nuts in 2017, you know, some of them made some good money and they're thinking to themselves, all right, now what, you know, and like, do I just let it ride sit here? I don't, huh? You know, so, I mean, they need people like you so that they can at least get some good advice as to, all right, here's what you should do with this. This is what you can do with this. You know, want to play, you know, maybe take some off, maybe take some of your initial investment out so that you're not, you know, totally speculating, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And, and that's where, again, I, I'm, I, I do tell people I planned it like it, it was planned, but I didn't think that it would have gotten to this extent. I was just like, listen, I'm going to learn. And again, shout to Howard Lindzen, right? Um, he was like, listen, go learn everything you can about crypto and everything you can about startups and watch what happens. And I was like, all right, <laughs> I'm listening to Howard Lindzen. And uh, the rest is history. Like if it wasn't for him and he took time with me on Labor Day weekend a few years ago, say four years ago now and uh, three years ago. And he was like, go do this. And he was like, no one's there. He was like, you'll, you'll own it for a while and you'll be able to, you know, make hay while the sun is shining. So yeah. So, so what are some of the most common financial blunders that you've seen from this new crop of of crypto millionaires or, or you know, right. what, what, what are some of the common mistakes that are, that are happening? I think it's, you know, again, even with traditional clients and, and crypto clients, I think it's the same thing. And I don't want to say this at any age, but it's especially when you're talking, you know, my clients are anywhere from 25 to 45. Right. Um, 45 is, is old, but. Um, on the older end, but 
I think the main thing, and here's, and let, let me preface that by saying this, what a lot of people don't understand, again, which is a misnomer because they don't work with this demographic and I wish they would stop saying it. All of my clients are highly liquid. They have, they take a lot of risk, but they save a lot. They have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the common mistake is people just don't know how much they spend. They just don't, they can't track their expenses. And especially if you, you start to do better in life and you start to let certain things slip, right? A lifestyle creep, right? So one of the things that I do is I tell people all the time, give me three months of your checking account. I don't need to know anything about you, but I'll know how much you make, where you spend your money, how often you spend your money, what time you spend your money, like all of these things. And I, and I'll, I, I say that not necessarily as a threat, but just to tell clients, you should be doing this too. So look at how you spend your money, right? And then you'll be able to say, okay, well, the good old line down the middle of a piece of paper, everything that comes in on one side, everything that goes out on the other, if you've got a number on the bottom left, you're doing all right, right? Discretionary income, right? Number on the bottom yep. left, a bottom right, ah, something's wrong. So that's really it. I just don't think people track their expenses enough. And I think if that was the case from when you grew up like I grew up, where it was literally $20 on Monday, we got to stretch this to Friday, all the way up until there's enough money in the account. I don't ever have to worry about money again. But if you at least know what you need to live to the dime, right? I did, you, you, you're able to make adjustments in your life when black swan events come and things like that if you haven't been tracking it. So I think that's the number one thing is that people just don't know what they spend. Not only what they spend, but what they spend on what. And when you show them, they're like, I'm spending $20,000 a year on groceries. Yes. <laughs> and you eat out. That's, a lot, of, that's yeah. a lot of people shopping at Erdogan. Right, right. Oh my God. That, that's like a freaking, it's like the Oscars in a grocery store and Whole Foods met. It, that place is amazing to me. I, I mean, it's, it, a, it's, it's incredible. But I, I, every time I walk in there with my wife, I'm like, this, the, no. We can't. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. Like it's the, and the, outside of the fact that it's super expensive, there's just two. I didn't know this many types of water existed. I don't like. It's insane. They have every type of kombucha. It's it's insane to shop in there. Oh, and then listen, in, in any any grocery store with valet is a little different. Yeah. No, that's like that's an immediate like. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a little I'm, different here. I'm gonna take my budgeting butt down to. Uh, <laughs> Right. Whole three sixty. Let's go. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, that's that's so stuff. funny. That's good stuff. So, so what would you say is the most difficult aspect of your job right now? And I'm gonna just project and say that you wear too many hats, but that that's yeah. just me. <laughs> I don't see that's the thing. I don't know if it's too many. I just think that it's just me, right? I need to build out a team. So I don't. I don't have a team right now. So I'm. I'm trying to get an assistant um, to handle things, but. Um, that's probably it. Just and and I need to learn now as you know I, I get into new rooms and my profile grows a bit. Is that everyone wants a piece of you? Just knowing when to say no, right? Because at the end of the day, you have a responsibility to the people that you work with. You have an, a, a, a responsibility to the organizations that you partner with, um, and more importantly. I'm operating out of purpose now, right? So everything I do is purpose-driven. Everything I do comes with passion and it's it's tied to my legacy. I don't do anything for my resume anymore. I don't care about my resume. I care about leaving a legacy. 
So I have to make sure that everything that I do is intentional and that is going to impact a life. If it doesn't, I cannot do it. So that helps that helps things be a filter. But it also adds more to the plate because there's so many people in need. Right. And, and I just believe in the power of humanity and us caring about each other again. And I think all of the things that I threw, you can care about people through crypto and care about people through value investing and care about people through micro cap or whatever. At the end of the day, there's people on the other end of these things. So I think if we get back to humanity and caring about humanity, um, it, it, it does require a lot of you. So I think I'm going to have to unbundle a little bit of this and, and offset it a bit if I'm going to to last. <laughs> hey man, I, I I totally hear what you're saying. You know, yeah. But so so now let I want to pretend. Let's say you know I'm I'm coming to you. You know I have a bit of a crypto portfolio. You know I got a couple things mm-hmm. in there or whatever it is. You know mm-hmm. I, I'd look. Let's get your advice. You know what I know this. We could probably do three hours on this alone. But you know what are you seeing right now in crypto itself? You know what advice would you have? for, you know, newbie coming in, brought yep. you on? Like, what, what are you saying? Educate yourself. Um, what I do is, again, I think financial advisors should be doing this. I think clients should be doing it. I think everyone should be doing it. Educate yourself. Mm-hmm. There's so much information out there now, more than there was in 2017 when it went parabolic. The infrastructure is better. The ease of use, right? The UI, UX, everything is improved, right? And, and better. So what I try and do is provide a certain amount of resources, right? Are you familiar with Delphi Digital? Are you familiar with Coinmetrics? Are you familiar, you know, um, with Unchained Capital? Are you aware of Ledger? Depending on where they are, what they do, it is, are you aware of these things? So just kind of the intake. But I think it all revolves around education right now and people just getting up to speed and knowing the truth, right? It's ether the coin. Ethereum is the blockchain, right? So just just understanding the difference between the two and understanding the difference between, you know, uh, hot and cold storage and, and, and what it means to what, you know, private keys versus public keys and just the, the basics is still very early. No one missed anything, right? Still very early. Um, it's still a highly speculative market, highly manipulated market too. No one wants to admit that. Um, it's a highly manipulated market. Um, you know, we, there's, we need better, you know, better prime brokerage, better OT, you know, OTC and OTC is all right. It's, 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 it's getting there, but there's a lot of the, you know, custodial infrastructure, all of these things are getting better and improvement, but learn what's out there, right? Do you want to custody your assets at Fidelity or Gemini or BitGo or, uh, Kingdom Trust, right? There's so many different ways right? Do you really want to take ownership yourself and do it yourself? Well, you better be really smart, right? And you better, you better understand it, some, some different things, but Casa is out there, uh, River Financial, there's a whole bunch, like, so that's what I'm saying. It's like, I tell financial advisors, if you just knew all of this stuff, you're the hero and you don't have to say anything about Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. You just need to know that these other options are out there and the clients will go, oh, whoa, he gets the space, right? Um, so, you know, that's that's really it. It's just I'm really big on educating people. Now, if they're looking for financial advice and they want financial, they they want help from an advisor, I would say, okay, well, what is it? Right. And they say, okay, well, look, I put fifty thousand and it's one point five million now. I don't know what do I, you know what I mean? Now, again, that is nothing to do with crypto. This is just a right, oh crap, I got more money than I've ever had in my life. What do I do? Right. Yeah. Um, and listen, okay, well, let's, 
Do you have loans? Okay, right? Do you have right all these other things? Okay, well, you have a massive gain. Probably don't want to create those capital gains. Are you familiar with drawbridge lending or BlockFi where you can borrow against it, not sell it, take that money, right? Then you get into the tax conversation. You know, are you right. married, have kids or whatever? Well, listen, have you thought, you know, have you done any estate planning, right? Um, you know, intervivo trust, write a will, all that other stuff. You have a trust, you put it in a trust in cold storage, just leave it. Blah. It's a whole type of, there's, there's all types of things there that people appreciate. And again, it, you still go back to the basics, but again, with those assets, right? Another thing is a digital fiduciary. No one talks about this, right? Okay, great. I understand crypto. Does my wife, does my aunt, does my kids, I need someone next in line to understand Right, what all of these things mean. Right. Um, so I think those are those are conversations and things that clients. You know, my mentor always says, answer the questions people don't think to ask. Done. Crypto, microcap, whatever it is that you do, right? They answer the questions people don't think to ask. You'll you'll have clients. You'll you'll never want for clients. For sure. So I mean, I, I'm not I'm not totally sure, but did, did do you have your own portfolio? That that you kind of manage yourself and kind of and have your yeah, own investing I, philosophy. You know, I don't. It's not that I again. I, I manage it by buying more when the price <laughs> drops. But yeah, I own the majority of my assets are in uh, crypto. I own a majority of Bitcoin. I hold a little a uh, little ether. Ether was actually the first one that I bought because I'm like, oh, smart contracts and all this other stuff. And then you learn the contracts aren't really that smart. And you got to, you know, it's like, oh, OK. Right. But um, but yeah, so majority of my assets are crypto and Bitcoin, which is probably it's probably like ninety nine percent, you know, of my crypto is is Bitcoin. Um, and that will continue to, to grow, you know, over time. I, I, again, I, I do feel like there's some value in, in what the Ethereum was happening on the Ethereum blockchain. Does that directly affect the price of Ether? I don't know. But um, but yeah, so I, and again, it's not. You know, managing is just simply do- good old dollar cost averaging. <laughs> um, so I love it when the price drops. I'm not, not in a hurry to do anything with it. Um, you know, I hold a few equities here and there, um, you know, put money in retirement accounts. I have a 401k that's, you know, I, I try and, you know, hold as much stock as possible, obviously, get my Meb Faber on, go overseas, hold some international, do all of that. Like, I, I, I you know, I'm familiar with the traditional world, still is boring to me, but I get it. <laughs> You know, um, and yeah, you know, some some equity and private companies. Um, obviously, I think that's the majority of where my investing goes is equity and private companies and then crypto. And then again, hold a little stock here and there. I got an HSA, you know, I'm a single man. So clearly, if you didn't figure that already, because I'm taking all this risk um, and I have a, you know, a variable universal whole life policy that I sold myself in Merrill Lynch. So, you know, uh, <laughs> so, you know. It's all there. <laughs> so, so then, what? So then, what's your philosophy when you're evaluating like a potential, you know, uh, new crypto that either you're bringing onto your portfolio, or maybe one of your one of your clients brought to you and was like, "Hey, check this out. You know, this is kind of interesting. You know, what do you think?" Again, I'm I'm not a to me I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist. I think you know I think there's some things out there. I think Decred is interesting. And again, not to go into the different coins, but for me, most of these are derivative of the Bitcoin blockchain right. anyway. You and, and there's a lot of things that goes into that, right? Stuff, stuff that I'm sure Tom covered, governance and all that other stuff. I don't want to go to that, but I think for anyone right now, and again, I have I, again to make this very clear. I've never pitched crypto to clients a day in my life. They all come right. to me with it. 
And I asked them why they hold certain things, right? And it may not be my belief, but it may be theirs. But for me, kind of right now, it's like Bitcoin hard stop. Anything outside of Bitcoin and Ether, I have a hard time. I mean, some of the privacy coins are interesting, but you're kind of seeing Bitcoin evolve into that now with Snore and Taproot and all of these different things. Um, so it, it would it would take a lot for me to kind of introduce something um, into my own portfolio. But for clients, again, some of them already own it. And to be frank, a lot of times I learn from them. Right. So sure. some of them come to me he's like, what about Decred? What about Monero? What about Grand or Mimble Wimble? Or what? I'm like, what? Mimble what? Right. So it's like all of these things um, you, I learned. But for me, it's a very, 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 very long process um, of, of even thinking of entertaining anything outside of those two. Again, I think Decred is fascinating um, only because Bitcoin folks have told me about Decred. So I'm like, all right, it must be some value here. But that's really it. I, I, and, and again, it's, it's more reading. It's more learning. Um, and, you know, again, there, there are some projects out there that, that are interesting and I would love to see evolve. But for me right now, again, is I, I, again, I think that's still my traditional advisor hat is like if you really don't understand it. Right. It really can't create some type of fundamental construct. Probably just stay away from it. A hundred percent. I I couldn't agree with those sentiments more. You know? <laughs> so so then what what would what's an investing experience that would would you say impacted you the most in your career and is probably mm. probably that thing that you're like, all right, if whenever this comes to me from one of my clients, let me tell you a story, guy. You know you know like one of those situations. Ooh, that impacted me. Well, it didn't necessarily come from me. Um, it was a story that I've had, and I won't say the person's name, is a very influential individual. Uh, I'll probably give you two, and I'll give you this one because I just think it's it's exemplary of a lot of different things in our business, period. Um very well-known individual in our business. We were having dinner at Inside ETS, and I'm still astounded that he came to me and was having this conversation with me, but um he knew that I understood crypto and he said, I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine who fired his financial advisor. Said I, he put money into Bitcoin, ran up, he had to $20 million. And he called his advisor and said, what should I do, right? I don't know, you know, I really wasn't expecting this or whatever. The advisor completely dismissed it. I don't know, whatever. He wrote it all the way down, all the way down. Wrote it, like literally wrote it all the way down. Went, rode the highs, I wrote it all the way down paralyzed by fear, whatever, you know, uncertainty, whatever, wrote it all the way down, fired the advisor. So, so many things there that we could talk about, right? Like replace that with any other asset. And there's so many different things there that that we could talk about. One is like not knowing what you're putting your money into, not having an exit strategy, right? Risk tolerance, all these other things, right? Behavioral stuff there for the Dan Egan's and, and, you know, the Dr. Crosby's of the world, right? Like there's so many, that's the typical case of what the value of an advisor, right? So many different things, but what could go wrong? What could go right? All these things. Um, so I tell that story often because, again, I one, to show the value of having someone that you trust, right? Two, for advisors, the responsibility that we have as fiduciaries to have an opinion, right? Yay or nay, just have an opinion. Clients want that from you, right? Um, and I, I think lastly is that, 
a lot of a lot of what we do is behavior, right? It's good to see behavioral finance come to the fore now because at yep. the end of the day, people don't buy for no other reason than narrative. They buy off a narrative. They figure out everything else later. But everyone on Twitter now, while we're here doing this, is throwing out stuff to create narratives around whether it's coins or Tesla or Zoom or whatever it is, right? Slack. Everyone wants to create a narrative around something. People buy into that, and that's why they buy. And then you start to get all these other factors involved. And again, yes, there's a way more nuanced than that, sure. But people buy off a narrative at the end of the day. Um, so that's that. And then I think personally, for me, that I that I tell people is personally, when I got to Merrill Lynch, I, again, by then I had the foresight that, well, I did knowledge rather that I knew what a 401k was now, right? I knew what stocks were. And I was like, okay, I'm going to start to actually become an investor. And I'm like, okay, Bank of America owns Merrill Lynch and I could buy it in my 401k. So I'm going to buy some in my 401k. I'm going to buy some in my brokerage account and rates are coming down and the banks are, and I, this whole thing. So I'm starting to create this thesis around like, all right, I'm actually becoming an investor. And I start to, and I start to see the value increase. I'm like, oh, here it is. I figured it out. What I didn't do though, is I didn't account for having the rest of my financial life in order, right? Um, and because of that, I had to draw down, right, <laughs> that that position um, because I wasn't, I didn't have everything else in my life, right, um, I'm fixed. So that was a, a lesson that I tell clients personally is that I had it right, right? I nailed it. I did it. I did my research. I kind of put everything together and you know, understood and was listening to what some other people were doing and took advantage of price dips and dollar cost. I did it all. But because I didn't have my full financial life in order, right? And because I was playing catch up, because I was financially illiterate for so long, I made a lot of stupid mistakes that people make. And then I don't get the benefit of compounding interest and doing all these other things. So those are probably the two that I lean on and tell people the most when I'm trying to drive home a point. Very cool. So, so I, I know you got to go. I have one last, yeah, uh, one last sure. question for you. You know, you just started the human advisor podcast. I got to ask, yep. what, what are some of the, the best lessons you've learned thus far since starting it? Oh man. Um, one is the power of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, when you can tell, you can, one, when you tell your story and this is, and, and I, I say this because it's the only reason a podcast exists, Jason Wank saw me telling my story and he heard some of my story and he's like, I think it would be, he's like, I think you're the one people will open up to. Right. Um, so me having the confidence to tell my story now allows people to share some, some of the most compelling stuff on his podcast. It's amazing. Some of the things that people share, it's unreal. So the power of storytelling two ways, one telling yours frees other people to tell theirs. And then some of the things that you hear is so inspirational and, I think that that's just something that you can't you can't even begin to account for that. The second thing is we underestimated the impact it would have outside of the advisory community. I get messages all the time now from people it's like, oh, that's what you guys do, right? Like I would work with this person. Do you have a contact? Is you know, uh, you know, so we completely underestimated how people were completely removed from financial services would care about it and they love it. Like they absolutely love it. Um, and the last thing 
I would say probably for me personally is how damn hard it is to be a host. Cause you gotta, you have to be engrossed in the conversation, but you gotta be thinking about where you want to take it next. So, and it's so funny, like I watched them back and I'm like, oh, I don't even remember them saying that. Right. Um, like for Josh's interview, for example, like I was so dead set on having him talk about himself and how he felt about some things that were going on in the industry is that when I watched it back and I started to get, you know, we started to get feedback. They're like, oh, he gave all this great feedback on how to be an advisor and how to grow your practice. And I'm like, I don't remember none of that. Right? So <laughs> it was, it, it's just really cool when you're sitting with people is that, again, you, you have things you want to draw out of them. And you, you want to be one step ahead so you can kind of, you know, when you get to the end of the road, you kind of, you painted this picture for people as they watch or listen. Um, so I, I have a great appreciation for the greats who do it, right? Your Patrick O'Shaughnessy's, your Joe Rogan's, right? It's like, it's a really, really hard thing to do. And unfortunately, I can't hide because it's on video too. But um, yeah, just those are probably the, the, the biggest three takeaways from it. All right, I'll let you go here. For real quick, where can my audience go and find everything they need to know about Tyrone? Yeah, uh, the best place is to go to my my personal website, Tyrone Ross, T Y R O N E R O S S dot I O. Um, and the second place, best place is Twitter, where I live, um, which my handle is TR401. You can find me there, and I spend most of my time ranting about gratitude. Well, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate absolutely. you joining me today. And uh, absolutely, I'm stoked to meet you in person at some point. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And listen, I thank you is, is for, for extending your platform. I always tell people this, you don't have to. And I know you usually like, let, you know, you have really, Tom and other really smart people on here where y'all can kind of geek out on smart stuff. So, you know, I, I definitely appreciate you taking the time and sharing your platform for me to talk about my passion and purpose. And I'm grateful. I appreciate you. Nah, thank you, man. Have a good one. Thank you all for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast, and thank you, Tyrone, again for coming on to the program. You can access the podcast by going on to podbean.com and search Planet Microcap podcast or on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube and search Planet Microcap podcast. Stay tuned for the next Planet Microcap podcast where we'll have the next guest to discuss all things investing. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, please send an email to info at snnwire.com. I'd love to hear from all of you. This podcast has been brought to you by SNN Incorporated, publishers of StockNewsNow.com, the official microcap news source, and the microcap review magazine. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you again for joining me on the Planet Microcap Podcast. Have a great week, everyone. Bye.